Welcome to Fast Forward, where we discuss technology, ethics, and the future of humanity. With your hosts, Rachel Love and Ben Perry. Each episode starts with a broad topic that we found interesting. And explores how it engages with humans and communities in the future. You can expect science news filtered through our woefully amateur lenses. Some strong opinions and hopefully a bit of humor. Welcome to Fast Forward. This is Rachel. And I'm Ben. Uh, today we're going to be talking about death and dying. So before we get into that, I wanted to just talk a little bit about some of my own personal experiences with talking to people uh, in those final moments. Uh, I had the opportunity while I was in seminary to work at a hospital as a chaplain intern for a summer. And while I was there, I had the experience of of walking with families as they approach those you know, incredibly difficult end-of-life decisions and everything from parents of young children who were in an accident who had to make heartbreaking choices about taking their kids off of life support to folks who were in their 80s and 90s and were being kept alive largely by machine and you know families needing to make heart-wrenching choices about what to, how to care for their you know, ailing parents or grandparents um, and so I wanted to say that, you know, before we dive in, death and dying is an incredibly personal decision. Um, it's not something that, you know, anybody can write uh, a single prescription for, you know, this is the way, this is the best way that people should die. But a couple things that I that I saw while I was there that I hope will inform our conversation today. One is that we don't die very well in this country. I remember I went to a, a talk by a funeral director one time, and he was talking about how for all of human history, death and dying was incredibly personal and and based in, in families that, you know, folks would gather around, you know, a loved one who had passed and they would dig a grave and carry the body to the grave and put that, you know, carry, literally carry that person the last mile of their lives. And, you know, dying was, a, was something that you did at home, that you did, you know, surrounded by people you love. Um, and for so many people now, dying is something that happens in hospitals and incredibly mm-hmm. sterile environments with machines and orderlies and people yelling and in uh, a very stressful setting. And a large part of that stems from our desire to keep people alive. That, you know, as we've gotten better at preserving life, we've you know paradoxically uh, made the experience of, of dying so much worse for so many people. Um, and that's really sad. And so I saw a lot of people who, you know, died in ways that, you know, maybe if you had asked them, you know, 10 years before, you know, imagine uh, the perfect death for yourself, uh, you know, ways that I, I can't imagine that that's what they would have chosen. And then the so the, the flip side of that is that uh, you know, we should never be cavalier when we're talking about death because it's something that, that is incredibly personal um, and that, you know, a good death for one person may not look like a good death for another person. Um, and the way that, you know, people interact with grief and loss uh, is is incredibly, incredibly personal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were uh, you know, families of, of kids who died who reacted with remarkable dignity and grace in, in a completely unimaginable situation. And there were, you know, families 
uh, whose you know grandmother died after a long full life, who were utterly distraught and could barely cope with the situation. And so, you know, anything we talk about it, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about some broad trends, but when it comes to that individual moment of a of a person dying, uh, I don't want to ever be glib. So I'll say that before we start. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Uh, and so for today's uh, episode, we're going to be talking about some uh, different technologies um, and kind of where we are right now with death and dying and uh, different ways in which that happens. So we'll start a little bit with, you know, how are people dying currently and in present? Um, and as I alluded to a little bit in, in the introduction, one of the, the real you know, trends of death and dying over the last 50 years is that we've gotten so much better at preserving people's lives mm-hmm. and keeping people alive. Um, and so we have all sorts of machines like, uh, you know, automatic respirators and uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation machines, which are wow. these kind of ECMO, if you want. Sure. <laughs> okay. um, you. you know, these ECMO machines are machines that basically... Uh, replace heart and lung functioning. So wow. it filters and reoxygenates blood and pumps it through the, the body, um, which was originally developed for, uh, you know, use in surgeries and other times when the lungs and hearts might not be operant, but mm-hmm. now can keep people alive as they wait for a heart transplant or a lung transplant. Wow. And so people will be on these ECMO machines for months or even years. Um, so, you know, at this point, with the technology we have, we can essentially keep people alive somewhat mm-hmm. indefinitely. Right. Um, but there's a real cost to that, not just a human cost of, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times it ends up being that, you know, someone spends the last seven months of their life hooked up to a machine until their body finally gives out. Wow. But there's a real financial cost there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 30% of all yearly Medicare expenditures are for people who die in that year. Um, And one third of that cost occurs during the last month of life. Um, For people who live older than 85, what that looks like is that about a third of their total lifetime costs, uh, medical costs, happen between 85 and when they die. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a huge cost. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, just for so that ECMO process Mm -hmm. I I, uh, mentioned, on average, people who get ECMO in the hospital costs about $213,000. Whoa, whoa, wow. And so I think we need to have real conversations about, you know, is that the best way to be using money? Right, right. Yeah, I think it's complicated because it's like you're asking someone whether or not they want Nana to be alive, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd imagine that some of these people are waiting for transplants. Yeah. Right? The other question I had for you is it a constant process? Like, is it something where you, once you're on, you need to be on until yeah. the, okay, got it. And so, you know, especially with some of these respirators, you know, they're folks who, you know, end up being live permanently connected to these uh, life prolonging machines by tubes surgically planted mm-hmm. into their necks and stomachs. A lot of them will never get out of bed again, eat independently or be able wow. to talk. Their arms are oftentimes tied down in order to prevent tubes from becoming dislodged. And like, wow. that's, how someone can spend the last six months of their life. Right. And so part of it may be that they're waiting for a transplant, but part mm-hmm. of it also is that, you know, you don't want Nana to die. And so right. you're kind of hoping that like maybe something miraculous will happen right. and she'll right. get better. Mm-hmm. And doctors need to do a better job of talking to patients openly and mm-hmm. honestly about death. I, mm-hmm. I think it really ties into that. We have like uh, a real issue around death and dying in this country. Yeah. We don't want to die. Mm-hmm. We have this mm-hmm. sort of belief in, in immortality right. um, that, 
I think really hinders people when it comes to that moment of death. We don't, we don't come to grips with the fact that everyone is going to die. Right, right. Even if you look at the way that like funerals have progressed, like, mm-hmm. like a lot of funerals, you never see the body anymore. Right. Uh, you don't talk, you talk about the person as if they're like still living all the, you know, someone's mm-hmm. very rarely at a funeral will you talk about the fact that someone has died. There's right. a, there's a yeah, body in the room. Yeah. And I think you're totally right. I think it's, it's a cultural thing mm-hmm. of we don't talk about it. Right. And um, it's not something that you kind of wake up thinking about. It's like, hey, I'm going to die one day, Uh, which is true for all of us humans at this present moment. Uh, But I think it's it's challenging because anytime you get to the topic of death or dying, it's not just the end of someone's life. It becomes an entire spiritual belief system. What do you believe in? What is the person who's going through this? procedure or hookup, if you will. Um, you know, what, what do they believe? What do they want their quality of life to be? Has that even ever been a discussion? You know, I feel like that's, um, a conversation that we should all be having with our families and, you know, as much as we don't want to, but it's a, what does a good death look like? Right. How would you like to die? And yeah, like that's an awkward, uncomfortable conversation that a lot of people don't want to have with their parents, with their grandparents. And I get that, but given the fact that at least at present, we're all going to die. Right. right. uh, We need to be talking about this. I mean, even to, even so much as to say for myself personally, whenever I've dated someone pretty seriously, I'm like, so this is my emergency list contacts, right? Because something could happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, so many of the times that I've had those types of conversations, it's been very weird. And people are surprised that I even want to kind of like be like, so you're going to call these people first and this is what's happening. This is my insurance because we're not talking about, we're not having a conversation. I think that the conversation around quality of life, I think it becomes really complicated really quickly because then you have to talk about the philosophy of like your body and your mind and your consciousness, mm-hmm. right? And like, what does it mean to keep your body alive when we're either it's unclear that that person has consciousness or they, or they don't, they like medically don't. And there also become, just comes a time when, you know, the processes that uh, are requisite to keep somebody alive mm-hmm. end up doing an incredible harm. Right. Um, and it's one of the reasons I really encourage people to to sign a DNR. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I watched as, because if, if you don't sign a DNR, the hospital essentially has to try to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because they're pretty good at that, you know, right. they will, but you still have somebody who's, you know, like I, I watched a guy who was in his late 80s and they like totally destroyed his rib cage because I mean, but doing you know CPR yeah, yeah, and the yeah, whole, yeah. you know the whole right. resuscitation thing right. you know inflicting I'm sure incredible pain I mean yeah. I don't know how conscious he was at the time but mm. you know he was definitely crashing and they were able to revive him but at what cost right right and I you know, I don't really remember exactly but I'm sure I mean, my guess would be he probably didn't live very much longer after that mm-hmm. you know is it worth going through that process of, mm-hmm. you know, reviving someone right. who, you know, may not live that much longer anyway. It's like, mm-hmm. what kind of pain and suffering are you inflicting mm-hmm. in that process of saving a life? Right, right, um, right. And the reality is that, you know, you don't want to make your children or your, you know, whoever is your, you know, your next of kin responsible mm-hmm. for making that decision. Because right. it's a huge decision. Yes. If you yeah. sign a DNR, then you, you take then that you onus know. off of them mm-hmm. and they can, you know, deal with just the natural grief that experiences when you lose someone right. without the, the added pain of being forced to make that incredibly difficult decision about right. whether to take someone off life support. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Especially if you've never had the conversation. Yeah. Right. And, or don't know that person. That's also, you know, a real mm-hmm. reality for folks. 
yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's really, it's really challenging. Um, and I feel like it really depends on the context as well. Like who that person is and what's going on. But I think we're going to need to have like conversations, particularly you know, around as as it pertains to medical care in this country. Mm-hmm. That you know we mm-hmm. have the you know boomers are getting older. It's going to be the right. largest generation of you know of, of folks who are you know be approaching this extreme end of life care. Mm-hmm. And we need to have real conversations about how much that's going to cost, and totally. you know, is it worth the expenditure of money uh, yeah. and time and doctor time and everything else to yeah. to try to keep this huge generation of people alive as long as you know, we physically can, yeah. or is it better to just reassess how we think about death right. so we have a healthier attitude about it and we, you mm-hmm. know, integrate mm-hmm. people into thinking about death more holistically yeah. so that we're able to spend those resources on, you know, kids who can't get access to, right. to you know, adequate medication. Or yeah. I almost feel like it becomes a larger conversation, though, because it's like once you start talking about, you know, what is the cost and we are at this point of, you know, technology is just advancing quicker and quicker and we're getting better and better at keeping people alive. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have some type of like boundaries of like, okay, at this point or whatever it is, we're, we will just continue to keep people because Mm we, I mean, one live in this capitalist society. So someone is going to get paid regardless, you know, even if it's not a lot, yeah, get paid so much money. Um, and, and I think that it's just really challenging. I think I go back to our conversation about medical devices and Mm -hmm. just this cost that we are, I mean, almost like um, unconsciously investing. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but like, you know, we're we're investing all of this money um, when we could be doing so many other things. But the flip side of it is when you start having that conversation, like I don't remember all the, when they were, you know, having this conversation uh, around Obamacare, mm-hmm. it was like, they're going to have death panels. Like they're going to rule on whether to kill your grandmother. They're coming for you. They're coming for granny. <laughs> And, like, that's what it ends up yeah. being is, like, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you can't have a rational conversation right. about this. It becomes this extremely mm-hmm. radicalized thing where, like, mm-hmm. oh, they're going to come smother your grandmother in right. her bed. Polarized with buzzwords. <laughs> and, it's, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. And it's it's a very complicated and delicate conversation. Um, yeah. And I, I, think it's, I think it's challenging. And I don't know. I don't know what my response would be if I had... If I had the choice, because I think for me, it would really depend on the context. Let me go, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to face back in I feel like that's probably where I would go. But I honestly, I haven't sat down and thought about no, like, what I yeah, want. I'm you know not, what I mean? You know, I'm saying yeah. this hale and healthy at 29 years old, course. you know, yeah, speaking yeah. into a, a podcast mic, not in a hospital bed. So, you know. Right, right. Very different context. A couple spoon, um, spoonfuls of salt on that. Um, yeah. But... I think it's interesting that as we're having this conversation, uh, you know, we're also witnessing an explosive growth in industries that are, are you know, primed at increasing and stoking people's ideas and, and uh, visions of immortality. Totally. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I yeah. think you looked a little bit into cryogenics for this episode. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, sort of singularity and transhumanism in a second. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting that as, you know, the flip side of this, keeping people alive indefinitely is, oh, we, and now, we'll, you know, the the future is actually immortality. Right. Right. And how do we live forever? <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk to you about cryonics cryogenics and cryopreservation. Um, they're used pretty much synonymously. 
for the most part. But basically, it's the practice of keeping or storing a recently deceased person at super low temperatures, usually in some kind of vat of uh, liquid nitrogen. So just to run you through the process really quickly. So what happens is when someone dies, usually they've already made a decision about whether or not they would like their body to go through this process. Um, They actually refer to uh, individuals in this kind of process membership as patients. So I'm just going to refer to it as patients going forward. Uh, Otherwise, I'm going to confuse myself. So I thought they got with popsicles. Right. So love popsicle. Um, So if the patient dies, then they need to be kind of taken through this process between two, no more than 15 minutes after their heart has stopped beating. And the ideal process is that they're taken to a facility, one of these cryonic facilities, and all of the blood and fluid is removed from the body. So the really crucial piece in all of this is not allowing the water inside of our bodies, and our bodies are 60 to 70% water, um, not allowing those water molecules to freeze. Because if they freeze, then they rupture the cells of tissues. Um, And if that happens, then you can't be the same again. (laughs) I don't know how else to say that more eloquently. (laughs) It's not going to be the same. Uh, And so, anyway, so just to go through the process really quickly. So, uh, they freeze you, they take out all the fluids, they put in um, a antifreeze kind of solution for your cells, uh, and then they leave you for we don't know how long. Um, the estimates say, experts say, like anywhere from 50 to 150 years. There were some that were saying 30 years, which I'm just, no. So the idea is that, like, then they can wake you up when they have a cure for whatever got you, right? So what's complicated is it really depends on what happened when you died. There's there's multiple pieces that are complicated to this, but it's, uh, you know, first they have, we have to get to a point in, I guess, society or human existence where we can cure the disease or whatever it is that actually killed you at the end Um, or in cryonics language uh, you're currently in suspended animation so whatever suspended your animation uh, first that has to be cured but then the other layer of that is actually being able to reanimate you um, and be able to take you out of this freeze and bring you into a normal human temperature and and so the hope, to, to Ben's point, the hope is, is that our technology will get so advanced that when they unfreeze you, they will figure out all of the magic needed to cure you of that disease and also bring you back into your full state. Um, so one is you can do your brain or you can do your whole body. The brain is going to cost you about $80,000. <laughs> And the whole body is going to cost you $200,000. Right. So for it's just, that's a lot of money, one. But two, the real issue is that there has never been uh, the ability to kind of like unfreeze whole organs at this point. And so it's really complicated because we have 
all of these different cell types in our body. We have like a hundred different types of tissue. And so all of those different tissues need to be frozen in a specific way and then unfrozen in a specific way for it to actually be what it originally was, right? So it's just, it's very complicated. And there's a lot of experts that say that if we unfreeze, just even unfreezing you, whether or not we have the technology, that you will be mush. Like your your <laughs> tissue is basically dead. So you can't do anything with it. <laughs> This is why, like, cryogenics always just struck me as just, it's like, it's snake oil. It's snake oil for the 21st century. Like, there's a schmuck out there who will pay you $200,000 to make grandpa into a popsicle. And, like, you you might as well just, like, light $200,000 on fire. At least then you get a cool, you know, single dollar bill inferno. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, like, it just, it just seems like you're just selling. And, and so here's. Please, Ben, tell Taking us. a couple steps back. <laughs> So. The real deep tragedy to me here is you're preying on people's understandable fear of dying and yes. their understandable like yes. w- desire to preserve their loved one, their mm-hmm, understandable mm-hmm, desire mm-hmm. to stay alive, right. and you're you know uh, selling them to something that at least right now feels like a false bill of goods. Yes, yeah. yeah. So what I will say is, from everything that I kind of read and watched, it it really feels like to the folks that are kind of bought into this it feels like a belief system. Yeah. Like it, it's, a, it's a whole thing. It's not just like, hey, that sounds good. Let's do that. It's more of like, I really believe that I have a chance and I rather take that itty bitty chance, whatever it is, than take no chance at all. Which I, to just, I just want to be super clear. I will not be a part of this practice. <laughs> I just, just to put this out of the record, like that just not will not be me, but those are my own personal things but i guess my issue is more than anything is i almost feel like we probably aren't freezing people properly to begin with like let's say that this could work yeah we'll one day find in the future out yeah 100 years from now oh yeah cryogenics is theoretically possible but we did yes. it real bad in but we did it bad yeah. right like for example there are some this people that are frozen exactly there's some people that are frozen now who has still have blood in their system. And so the chances of being able to actually like bring like bring their cells back to like a human temperature is impossible basically. I think that that's what's going to end up being the real problem for them is like let's just say that they're able to keep these bodies frozen for 200 or 300 years. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is going to be that they were improperly frozen to begin with. That's that's what because I don't think that we have the technology to even know the right way yeah, to or, do that. To know, you know, until you can figure out how you can reanimate somebody, mm-hmm. how do you know what are going to be the significant <laughs> pro- like problems with reanimation? You know, it's like right, right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I think the other thing that was so interesting to me is like there's a lot of pets that are also frozen. I just feel like that's a weird consent thing. I'm weird about animals and consent. Like, I just, I don't know if, like, Cookie and Vanilla wanted to come back and be dogs again. Like, I just don't think that they want to. Like, what happens if they reanimate them and they're going to be like, I thought I was dead. Like, this is it. You promised me doggy heaven and now I'm just weird reanimated dog. But also, like, let's just, can we just go down, like, science fiction road for, like, three seconds? What happens if you bring back Cookie and Vanilla and they are not the same dogs? What if they're crazy dog? Like, you don't know. I'm just saying. I'm not even going to go down the human path. 
but I'm just gonna say like what happens like what if you do get to the place where you do get to bring these people back or animals back and because of that process because of being in that deep freeze there is something wrong it just feels like an another symptom of this cultural disease we were talking about before and yeah. like the, you yeah. know it stems from that same desire to keep like that will uh have people prolong life indefinitely even to the point where they're inflicting serious harm on people right. in the process right uh, because they're so afraid of death mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know whether their own or someone else's it just feels like an extension of that where, you know, people are so afraid of death that they will, you know, it is, it's faith. It's, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I am willing, I, I believe so strongly that I might never die yeah. that I will spend $200,000 yeah. that could be spent on literally anything else. So many other things. So many other things. To give myself a shred of a chance. Yeah, at, at, literally a shred. Not even immortality, about. just like, so let's say, you you know, you were, you're frozen at 87 years old, you had some sort of horrible cancer, they bring you back to life, and they're able to cure that cancer, you're still like 87 years old, how much right. longer are you going to live, you know, I mean. Well, so I think, though, <laughs> what I gleaned from a lot of this research is that the additional hope is that they can make them youthful again. Yeah, so it's, it's so it's just like crazy levels of science. Say, it just believe it's it's a belief in, in yeah. immortality that like yeah, and so I think it plays nicely into transhumanism as well. Um, you yep. know, maybe we'll you know talk a little bit about mm-hmm. uh, you know the singularity and uploading our brains into the cloud because I feel like it's all interconnected. Yeah, it I is. think the, the hope is. is that you know yeah you'll you'll be unfrozen and at mm-hmm. that point they can be like okay well now we're gonna you know transport your brain over and put it up into the yeah. the cloud um, and that is also you know another problem process you know that people talk you know there's all sorts of vice articles and you know (laughs) gizmodo i'm like oh you're gonna be able to you know uh, (laughs) upload your brain into the cloud uh and it sounds super cool but at the same time i feel like it is so disconnected from like even remotely where we are and understanding of the brain our understanding of consciousness our understanding of physiology yeah. We know so little about the human brain. Mm-hmm. So the idea that we are, are going to be able to replicate the, the human brain digitally feels like so much hubris that it's staggering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think what's so interesting about singularity and talking about uploading the mind is, to me, once you kind of go through the whole, like, okay... How could this be possible? What are all the ways in which we could possibly make this happen? I think you just go really quickly into the fact that our entire world could be an illusion. Like I don't like, for me that's what happens. Like that's it's all I just simulation. Go, I just go through I just go to that path really quickly. Yeah. Like because once you start so just to explain a little bit more about like uploading, yeah. right? You the process basically is taking a map of your brain and all of the synapses and neurons and copying that and putting it into a computer. Right. And so I think what's really interesting is one, we can't do that. Yeah, that framing is so ridiculous. Like it's always talked about yeah. in terms of like computing power, like, Oh, yeah. you know, the, the computing power of a human brain is like X number of, you know, of, of whatever you measure computing power. In. Some revealing my profound ignorance, but that's what they taught. You know, they're like, Oh, you know, the human brain is, is, you know, equivalent to this much computing power. Right, and right, by right, the year right, 20, right. 
you know, 20, uh, 2050, we'll have, you know, that the ability to produce that much computing power in a yeah. relatively small space, and so we'll be able, mm -hmm. able to you know, theoretically reproduce the brain. Yeah. But that's, it's not just, like, the same amount of stuff. Like, right. you have this incredibly intricate, you know, yep. series of neurons and synapses. Yes. Like, it's not just, you know, just raw power. It's right. all the understanding of what makes you, you. And mm -hmm. we do not even come close to understanding. We just, we have no idea. <laughs> And so the idea, no idea that, like, just because we could have that many bytes of data mm -hmm. that you would be able to replicate human consciousness feels like just, just Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes? <laughs> That's the first time I've heard you say that. But I love it, and I'm glad it's coming up here. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it is such a radically far-off notion because we just, we, we can't do it, one. Like, we literally do not have the computing power to even make that happen. Don't even try. Like, yeah. we, right. Like, we're not there. Like, we can't do it. But let's say that we do. Let's say that we get to the point where we can upload someone's mind, their consciousness, to a computer. Sure. I think that just getting to that step, there are so many problems that occur just there, right? Because... What I didn't realize, because, you know, just watching Black Mirror, you got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> and you're like, well, what is possible, right? And so what I didn't understand is, because in, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. Black Mirror reference. Hello. Um, in Black Mirror, the way that it makes it seem is as if it's that same person, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which it's not. What we're talking about, and the only thing that at this point, which would be possible, is making a copy of someone's brain right. or consciousness, right? So you're not going to be the same person. This is going to be a copy of whatever the original is. So then the conversation is, how do you categorize this now, let's just say consciousness, in a machine? Is that a person? Does that person have rights? Does that... I mean, can we even call it a person? Can they get married? Like, what what does that look like? And there was something that I was watching, obviously, very, like, forward thinking. But what happens when, you know, we, let's say, we integrate people that are copies into society and they process information and make decisions faster than humans can? So who actually becomes a second-class citizen? Is it yeah. humans? Because now we have things that are so much smarter than us walking around, and also they can't die because now they're immortal. Why actually. do you want, like, you're rooting for the machines to take over. It's like you watch The Matrix, and you're rooting for the, the, the robots. Like, you, you, you took the wrong right. lesson away. You watch the scene of, like, Neo right. coming out, and you're like, that doesn't look good at all. You right. should go back in the pod. <laughs> Yeah. But I think it's important also to talk about, you know, who is at the vanguard of promoting these technologies. Yes. So you have folks like Ray, Ray Kurzweil, who's, you know, the, the big mind behind sort of the singularity and talking about. And, and he, you know, part part of this, uh, you know, Silicon Valley uh, gaggle. What's, what's the word <laughs> for a group of Silicon Valley CEOs? <laughs> It's like a murder of crows. Yeah, a murder of a murder, a of, murder of a gaggle. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. Uh, but you know, all these folks. I mean, you got the, the analogy that to me seems prescient is yeah. Peter Thiel taking mm. young men's blood and infusing him in his veins to like pre preserve his own youth. Oh, you've heard about this? No. Oh no, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Thiel <laughs> believes that if he like if he infuses his own blood with young men's blood, that he will make himself younger. Is he a vampire? <laughs> because that's Maybe. where that's where I've heard that before. 
Sure. Yeah, no, it's crazy town, but it's part of this idea mm. that like, oh, we can, you know, uh, humanity is insufficient and we mm. can transcend it. We are, you know, transhumanists. Like we, we can right. really right. Right. emerge beyond humanity, beyond which first of all yeah. has its like own sort of weird hubris, but right. it also to me speaks to a very particular kind of like white privileged... Yes. Yes. Thinking where it's like, well, yes. death shouldn't apply to me. Right. Why I, would I die? I can't die. <laughs> Do you know who I am? Do you know how much privilege I have amassed I'm in this so current system? The world can't lose me. <laughs> how will the world continue? It won't. <laughs> it's just clearly won't. But, I mean, that's yeah. that's to me what it speaks to, and especially mm-hmm. when you look at this, like the world that we have and all yeah. the incredible problems that we are immersed with. You're like, oh, you know what I think we need to do? I think we need to sink millions of dollars into the possibility that I won't die. (laughs) And really make that a reality. Because that's what I need. Like, how does that become a priority for anyone other than you you just, it's your own quest for immortality. You're willing to shovel money into a pit to get there. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say I get quite... uh, I'm quite entertained by how upset you get about the Macos fire. I, it's, I, I love just, it. I love it. I know. You're really setting it on fire. It's like Bill de Blasio running for president. Just don't fucking do it. You guys can't see, but Ben is putting his arms up. It's quite great. Um, and you're making a, you're making a great point. I think it's just it's just ludicrous. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like it's really crazy. And I think that for me, the whole conversation about immortality and kind of having this experience beyond the experience i don't know i want to say like supposed to like i don't know we're humans like we're we're beings that are alive that one day will die and i think it's just this uh disconnect from nature if you will and the fact that we are animal as humans we are animals and and it's not a bad it's not a bad thing let's live good lives let's die good deaths right right and the cycle will continue, and let's just make sure that we have a better place than we had when you know yeah. we were born for our grandchildren or someone else's children, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just I, I really think that that's the basis of it is really the fact that we now as humans have created uh, cities and environments and bubbles where we are so disconnected from the fact and the reality that we are animals, and that is where we came from. And a part of being an animal is the nature of dying, mm-hmm. birth and death and the cycle. And I just think that we need to kind of accept that and really think critically about it and be more intentional. And I think that just goes back to the whole conversation at the beginning of like death and dying and like what happens to Nana. Because I think it's a different conversation if we culturally as a society, had different values. And I think if we had different values, you wouldn't have people who are, you know, so so pathologically obsessed with immortality yes. that they are willing to, you know, spend millions of dollars in its pursuit. Mm-hmm. That becomes mm-hmm. its own sort of idolatry that is reflective of a deeper cultural sickness. Yeah, yeah. That if we had better values around, mm-hmm. around dying, better understanding yeah. of, you know, of how to die a good death mm-hmm. that people wouldn't be so so profoundly afraid of it. Yeah, yeah. I think what I'll, I'll add there too is I think that there is also this disconnect between the lives that we lead on a day-to-day basis and what we believe in spiritually. Mm-hmm. There's a huge, I think there's a huge disconnect there and, it, and it's like, you know, believe what, whatever you want to believe, whatever, you know, suits you. But I think like, can we not talk about 
the ethics and the values of like being humans and like being in this human community um, and the fact that we need to die. Well, and it, it's kind of hilarious that, you know, in so many sort of Silicon Valley circles, religion is is viewed as, as this ridiculous backwards thing when yeah. you are very clearly creating your own new right, religion. Right. Like, that's <laughs> exactly what you're doing. Yeah. You're just, you might not call it that, yeah, like, but that's okay, what you're we're doing. Call it science, but like, right. You are investing all sorts of money and resources and time and, and energy into pursuing something that like, you're not sure if you'll ever succeed at. Right, and right. it's fundamentally really a... a you know, a statement of belief more than mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's a belief in ourselves. And I don't yeah. think that's where you should be putting your belief. Right. Like, right. let's have a conversation about what we believe in. That, you know, we are religious animals. Yeah. Humans need to believe in something. We need, you know, to couch our understanding of what it means yeah. to live and die within some sort of mm-hmm. greater, you know, ideological superstructure. Right. And I think that you have jettisoned, not that, you know, uh, you know, I'm Christian, not that Christianity is, is you know, the be all end all of, of spiritual life or yeah. any other spiritual system. But like, you know, you're like, you know, casting aside thousands of years of philosophical and religious thought as, you know, backwards and primitive, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, erecting these weird shrines to, you know, human immortality and, you know, this belief in, like, the fundamental human progress and, you know, uh, ability to perfect and expand humanity beyond itself and make us something more than human. Right. And I just don't know that that's where we should be putting our uh, Time and energy. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, I think even, like, outside of religion and like organized religion it's like can we and this is just this is just me my personal passion it's like can we just agree on a few fundamentals (laughs) like whatever you believe in but can we agree on just some certain things like can we just be good people can we like you know respect each other and i just feel like that is all intertwined within all of this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well that's our show. <laughs> You're going to die and it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's going to be cool. Uh, until next time, this is Rachel. And I'm Ben. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Fast Forward. As a reminder, what we've shared today are our own personal opinions and some of our jokes. But not expert level information. So as always, please do your own research. And remember, please base no life or death decisions on our ramblings. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Stay tuned for the next episode.